Well, it's a privilege to be in God's house again today, man. The uh, message that I have for you is on an outline that has been passed out to you. So if you have not received an outline that looks like this, if you'll raise your hand and we'll make sure you get one. All of the scriptures are on that outline, so um, you can follow along in your Bible if you'd like as well. But I'd like everybody to just take a look at the screen to my left. If you're looking at me, it's to the right of me. <clears throat> There's nothing on it. It's blank. It'll be blank throughout this morning. And I'm going to do that for a reason because I want that to be indelibly photographed in your brain that that is exactly what's going to happen when you wake up tomorrow. It's a blank screen. And you will be able, with your decisions, to determine what goes on it. Throughout this next year, God's going to be giving you promptings. And it'll be up to you whether or not you follow through with that prompting. How many of you know we can either do God's thing or we can do our thing? How many of you ever got in trouble doing your own thing? And I think if you've lived uh, any time at all, you know that it's better to do things God's way. Amen? I want to welcome all of you to joining us online. Thank you for being with us today, whenever you are watching or listening to this message. So my question to you today is, how many of you would like for 2024 to be the best year you've ever had? Okay, three or four hands went up. That's awesome. How, how many would really, truly, and this is, this is no joke, you would really like for this year to be the better than it's ever been? Amen? Now, my question to you in asking that is a follow-up, is what would your best year ever look like to you? More money? A better job? How about this one? No problems. You know, when I talk about you having the best year you've ever had, I'm not talking about you having more money than you've ever had. Because how many of you have learned that having more money doesn't always necessarily fix things? It can fix some things. It can help in some things. But how many of you know that doesn't equate to happiness or a great year? When I talk about having your best year ever, I'm not talking about having uh, kids more toys um, or men more boy toys or ladies more clothes or whatever it is, more physical pleasures uh, than you've ever had. I'm not talking about uh, going to more parties. I'm not talking about having more friends than you've ever had. Because, in fact, can I just get real? All of you probably have more friends on Facebook than you ever even talk to or communicate with on a regular basis anyway. Can I get an amen? You know, you got, how, many of you can, how many of you can talk to a 1,000 friends in a year? Hello. Well, if I get some letters, that's okay. When I talk about having a year that is the best year you've ever had, I am talking about having a year that is the most fulfilling year that you have ever had in your life. It is where you have more satisfaction. It's where you have more purpose. It's where you have more peace and joy and hope, which is the season we are coming through, amen, the season of peace. The peace, season of perpetual joy, the season of hope is, is the season of Christmas, amen. And the good news is the Bible actually gives us the keys to all of those things. This book that God gave us has all of those things contained in it, if we'll open it. If we'll read it, and then if we'll do it. And church, I just want to make you a promise. If you will apply all of these three keys, I'm going to give you, I'm just going to give you three keys today. And if you will apply all three of these keys, I will guarantee you 
that you will have the best year you've ever had. Now, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a uh, statement right next to that. I am not guaranteeing you no problems. Jesus never guaranteed us that. In fact, Jesus guaranteed us the exact opposite of that. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to have problems. Go ahead and tell them. You're going to have problems. But he said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Even the death of a loved one. Even the sickness of a loved one. Even a baby born with some trouble. Even an accident. As we just saw in the video. There are three keys that I'm going to give you today. And these will ensure that this year will be your best year ever. Are you ready? Number one is get alone with God. Daily. Get alone with God daily or every day. Daily. That means before the day is over, we're here corporately, but you need to get alone with God on your own. You need to do it yourself. And then tomorrow, you need to do it again. It's going to be the brand new year, right? You're going to be able to write things on that blank board. Then the next day, Tuesday, is going to be the real test. Because you're going to be solidly into it, vacations done, back to business. You see, you cannot have a great year without God as the centerpiece of your year. Countless millions of people are going to make New Year's resolutions tonight for 2024. And before January 1 will end, they will already break them. Already. Someone say already. And the reason is, if God is not the centerpiece of the change that you want to make, the resolution won't take. I'm going to say that again. If God is not the centerpiece of the resolution you want to make, the resolution won't take. For goodness sake. You know? You can't truly have a great year if God is not the centerpiece of your life. And I talked a little bit about this last week, but in our house when we decorate, we have this uh, centerpiece candle. It's, just, it's one of my favorite decorations. It's, it's beautiful. We have this runner on our table, but that candle centerpiece goes in the middle. And it's got holly and poinsettia leaves on it. And when you pass by the table, that is the first thing you see. Or the first thing I notice. It's the first thing that I notice, and it's the centerpiece. Not the table, not the chairs, not the runner, the centerpiece. And so many people will try to make this year the best year ever, and they will fail because God will not be the centerpiece. Even some who go by the name Christian. Money cannot be the centerpiece. Our job cannot be our centerpiece. Your family cannot be your centerpiece. Can I get an amen? How many of you know your family is not guaranteed you through the rest of this year? And see, God wants you to be part of His life, and He wants to be part of your life. And I guarantee He wants to be... Or rather, he wants this to be your best year as well. See, in order for us to have the best year of our life, our life has to have God in every single day of it. For many people, God is the last thing in their day. Or maybe never even in their day. For many people, the only time that God makes it into their schedule is when they pray for their meal. 
or when they need something from God. Are you all with me today? So we need to get alone with God daily. And right under that is letter A, spend time in the Bible. Now, we've talked about the Bible extensively. I've ministered to you messages on the importance of God's Word. And um, if you read the Bible through in a year, you're going to start in Genesis at some point, right? You're going to begin there. Genesis is going to be one of the first readings. That is the beginning. That is the book of beginnings. And it's in that, contained in that, we have creation. We have, in the beginning, God. Four words. And we already have theology. When did God happen? In the beginning. How long has God been here? Since the beginning. How did all this get here? It's the next word. In the beginning, God created. Not in the beginning, God evolutionized. You see, it's all right there. And as we read that, I'm asking you to read it in a brand new light. I'm asking you to read it for God to give you the anointing to read it like you've never seen it before. And today, we need to read it, but the next thing, if you want to write this down, or I guess I did read, I guess I did write that down for you in the parentheses, you need to read it, but you need to go beyond that, and you need to study it. Some of you are really good at reading it, but you've got to study it. That means you, you need to break it down a little bit. Get a commentary. Get a Strong's Concordance. Find out what those words mean. So you need to read it, then study it. And then the Bible says, within the Bible, it says to meditate on his law day and night. I will meditate on it. You see, meditate is one of those words the devil has stolen from the church, just like he's stolen the rainbow, by the way. Meditate is not an Eastern mysticism word. Meditate is a biblical word. And the word meditate means to roll over or to mutter. You know, you say, I don't know how to meditate. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Because worrying is just thinking about the problem and over and over and over and rolling it over and over. How many of you ever done that? Don't raise your hands, but you've done that. You've rolled those problems over and over and over, and you're worry, 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 worry. Some of us are great prayer worriers. Amen? We pray, but we worry about it. God wants us to be a prayer warrior. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, war, not worry. So spend time reading it, studying it, meditating on it. And here's the next one that some of you need to get into your life, and that is memorize it. That word have I hid in my heart? Why did I do that? So I might not sin against him. Why did God so love the world? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, John 1.1. 1, 1. Get the Word of God in your heart to the point where you can do just what Jesus did when he was tempted in the desert, because some of you are going to go in a desert this year possibly and get tempted by the enemy. And you can come through victoriously just like Jesus did. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness, but he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. That's the way you want to come out, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way you can do that is spending time in the Word, reading it, studying it, meditating on it, and memorizing it. People say, well, I can't memorize it, but you can. Do you know how I know you can? How many know the alphabet? You memorize that. How many of you have memorized the multiplication tables? What's 2 times 10? Why? Because you memorized it. You know it. And see, you can memorize it, and you have hundreds of songs in your brain that will pop up. I have a niece who knows the lyrics of just about every song that comes on the radio. And I'm just going to say this. The Bible is your number one key to success this year. I've never known anyone whose goal was failure. I've never known anyone who said, I want to fail in my marriage. Or I want to fail as a parent. 
No, everyone wants to be successful, and the Bible gives us the tools for success. Listen, look at Joshua 1.8. I have it there for you. It says, keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. It'll prosper you, and it will cause you to succeed. So this is talking about Two things that everyone wants. They want prosperity and they want success. Many people are going to be making New Year's resolutions regarding there. There it is, Joshua 1.8. That's how to truly be prosperous and successful. And listen, when you read the Bible, everybody still with me? Stop and pay attention to all the action verbs of the passage. You know what those are. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What's the action verb? Created. You want to look at all the action verbs, and that's the very first place to begin your study. What does it mean? What did it mean, create? And God spoke. Do you know what? The Bible literally in the Hebrew, when it says that God said, let there be light, and light was, literally it was this, God said, light be, light was. Boom. He didn't have to to labor long, he just spoke the word, those things that were not, he spoke into being. Now God gives us two keys here to be prosperous and successful. Walk through this verse with me. In Joshua 1, 8, notice this, keep this book always on your lips. What do you need to be speaking this year? The stuff that's in the book. The words that are in God's book. And keep the other things out of your li- off of your lips as you ladies are going to be looking at this Wednesday that don't belong there. Amen. So keep the book always on your lips and then meditate on it day and night. Do you see the word? Daily. There it is. Day and night. So this is showing us that the Bible is to be a daily part of our life, not just a segment that we hear for 40 minutes on a Sunday. Here's another thing about the Bible. It gives you truth. Look at John 8, 31 through 32. It says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. In a culture that is floundering, trying to figure out what truth is, can I get an amen? Here Jesus is telling us where to find it. The Bible teaches us what is right and what is wrong. The Bible teaches us about sin, about good, about evil, about conviction, about integrity, about character. How many of you know those two things, integrity and character, are very much in need today. The Bible teaches us that marriage is between one man and one woman. We don't need to be confused when a nation tries to redefine it. Can I get an amen? Redefining it in our culture, listen to me, church, it will never change the real truth. You can redefine everything you want to redefine. You can redefine the law of a stop sign if you want to. And try to go through that with your own law or a, 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 a green light, a red light. Now the, red, the red light means go now. Hallelujah. Try that. It won't work. It won't work. You'll be in accidents. And that's the problem. Why are we in accidents? Why are it's the world and the nation in the trouble and issues it's in? It's because we need the word. Jesus said the end of the the end result, look at this in John 8, he says, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. It literally will make you free. Another benefit is that it builds up your faith. Look at Romans 10 17. Are you still with me? It says, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God, or the Word of Christ. So if you want more faith, you have to hear 
more word. And whatever it is you need faith for, the Bible has words for, scriptures for. You need to get to the word and get it into you more. Amen? How many of you think you got all of God's word you need? So see, that right there shows us there's more. See, faith, faith is like a muscle. If you don't use it, you'll start to lose it. Every one of you, even that know Jesus is Lord, if you don't exercise your faith muscle, you will start to lose your faith muscle. A lot of times Christians miss this. So many Christians start in faith and end in flesh, trying to get it done in their own self, trying hard. People get saved by faith and then try to live that faith by their own strength. Listen to what God says about this in Galatians 3.3. Are you ready? Now, God doesn't pull any punches. He said, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Well, can I answer that? Many people are. Many people are. We have to be in the Word every day like a bodybuilder is in the gym every day. In order to be a faith builder, you have to hear the Word. You have to study the Word. You have to meditate on the Word. You have to memorize the Word. And if you don't, your muscle won't grow. In fact, it will shrink. It is the same with our faith. We have to use it to grow it, and we can't grow it if we don't know it. Amen? Look at this next scripture in Romans fifteen four. Now, this says, and the Scriptures were written to teach and encourage us by giving us hope. By giving us hope. Listen, the Bible is the best antidepressant medicine in the world. It's the best antidepressant medicine you can consume. And guess what? It won't cost you any dollars. It'll just cost you some minutes, some hours. So the first component of getting uh, alone with God daily is reading the Bible. The second one is spend time in prayer. Always remember this, church. When you read the Bible, always remember this. The disciples never, I can never find this, that they asked him to teach them how to preach. And Jesus was a good preacher. They didn't ask him how to teach them how to heal. They didn't ask him how to teach them how to do miracles. What they did ask him to teach them was how to pray. Everybody look this way. How to what? Pray. Now, the American church needs to learn how to truly pray again. Think of Jesus. This is what his days consisted of as I read Scripture. He would go from one place of prayer to another place of prayer, and in between those two places of prayer, he worked miracles. Jesus moved from one place to another, from prayer to prayer, and then he just performed miracles from God. He modeled this for us. The Bible never mentions something without also modeling how to do it. Jesus would get up, the Bible says, sometimes a great while before the day, or he would spend a long time even into the night. He would have performed many miracles, and instead of going to his easy chair and kicking up and eating some potato chips and a Coke, he went into the wilderness and began to pray. You say, well, Lord didn't have potato chips and a Coke, Pastor. Well, his flat bread and water or whatever. In other words, what I'm saying is when we get a victory, a lot of times we coast. And Jesus knew that that, wasn't the time, that was the time the devil starts to hit. So see, I remember as a kid, I used to build model cars. And I would take the box top that showed the picture of what the car was supposed to look like when it was done, and I would use that as the model for my model. Now, it didn't always come out that way, 
because I might have put a little bit too much glue on it here or there, or it might not have come with the paint. And usually if I bought the model, I didn't have enough to buy the paint. So mine was just a gray, you know, piece of plastic. But in Mark one thirty five, the Bible says we see Jesus modeling this for us. And I just mentioned this. Look at this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. That means he was alone where he prayed. So he gives us the keys to a quiet time here. Look at the keys. Look at the keys. Very early in the morning before anything starts going on. Parents, before the kids get up. While it's still dark. Was Jesus an early riser? Mm -hmm. I'm sorry for all those of you who like to sleep in, but Jesus was an early riser. He got up early. While it was still dark, he got up, and here's the key for your life. Get up. Look at your neighbor and say, get up. Right? I mean, get up. If you want a quiet time, get up early every morning while it's still dark. And that's not hard, too hard to do because it's not getting sunny until about 7.30. Amen? Now, why, why do we do that? The reason why we do that is because no one else is up and it's quiet. Get up out of bed and get alone with God. Yeah, but pastor, I'm telling you, man, those 15 minutes of sleep are so good. Well, I got a, I got a solution. Go to bed 15 minutes early and you'll get your 15 minutes. Do it the night before. Are you with me? You see, you see, it also says Jesus went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So get up and get alone. Look at your neighbor and say, get up. Get alone. What does that mean? No distractions. Make this a year where you get alone with God every day. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. How much more powerful would the church of Jesus Christ be if his bride would just do only these two things every day? Get up early and get alone with him. It'd make his people more patient. Don't raise your hands on here. Have you ever met an impatient, impatient Christian? It'd make him worry less. Don't raise your hand on this. How many of you have ever seen a worrying believer? Kind of an oxymoron, right? Worrying believer. I want to give you some things to do during your prayer time. And first of all, before I go there, I want to just say this. Start with something you can do. Just give yourself, start at 15 minutes. Say, God, I'm going to give you 15 minutes right here this morning. You say, Pastor, I don't even know if I can do 15. Start at 5. Start beyond where you are. If you're currently giving him zero, five is better than zero. But let's say you start with just 15 minutes a day and let it grow from there. I mean, don't set your target so high that you set yourself up to fail. Start low and slow. Don't go for one hour all at once. Work your way up to that. Jesus asked, could you not tarry with me for an hour? Those disciples had been with him for over three years. They should have been able to do that. Amen? Now, I want to give you some things to do during your prayer time. First off, right off the bat, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, he was just saying, praise God. So the first thing to do is just begin to thank him. Start a list of things you can be thankful for right now. Amen? Just start that list. And I encourage a pen and paper, put that cell phone away. Don't bring it into your prayer closet. Amen? Shut it off. Get a piece of pen or pen and piece of paper, pencil, because a lot of times I'm scribbling back off some of the things I wrote. I got an eraser. Pencil and paper and begin to thank God for the, the things he's giving. Thank him for your spouse. Thank him for your job. Thank him for your home. Thank him for your car. Thank him for your children. Thank him for your health. Thank him for the things that if you didn't have, you would be without. You would be like, oh, my goodness. How many of you could imagine uh, right now in 2024, Phoenix, Arizona, getting from your house to the church without a car? Well, wouldn't that be fun? Some of you have had some of those issues before. Amen? You thank Him for all those things, and then once you thank Him for them, there's a little bit of a difference. Praise Him. You can thank Him, but then you praise Him. See, we can thank other people, but we're not supposed to, like, praise them. 
but we praise God. We thank Him, and then we praise God as being the one who gave us those things, and then pray. You say, well, pastor, pray for what? Everything. Everything that you believe God is interested in. And if you're interested, He's interested in it. Because He gave you those interests. Amen? Pray for your, uh, pray for your spouse. Pray for those you're having a tough time loving. How would that be if we stopped cursing those we don't like and started praying for those we don't like and actually do what Jesus said to do? Pray for those who despitefully use you, basically that are your enemies. Pray for your country. Pray for your children. Pray for your husband. Pray for your wife. Church, believe in the power of prayer. And then guess what? When you're done, be quiet. This is a part of prayer is listen. Sometimes we're so busy saying, speaking, praying, asking, that we don't take time to listen. Now, I want to ask you this. How do you think Jesus knew what it was he was supposed to do in a given day if he didn't listen? God talks back. He'll speak to you. Spoke to Jesus. Number two, are you still with me? I haven't lost you, have I? Gather together regularly. Everybody say regularly. How many of you know that Jesus modeled this for us too? Look at this in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. I'm reading out of the New American Standard. It says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and here it is, as was his custom. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. Another way of saying that, it was Jesus' habit to go to synagogue every Sabbath. In other words, today, it was his habit to go to church. Notice here it's his custom. It means he regularly did it. It means he did it every week. Did you know that if, well, I want you to hear this like you got four ears on your head. Do you know that if you only came to Sunday morning service every week, and let's say you spent, and it's not quite that here. We don't usually keep you an hour and a half. But let's just use an hour and a half as a goal. If you came to Sunday morning service every single Sunday in 2024 for one and a half hours a week, it would only take the sum total of two and a half days out of the 366 days that we are going to be given this year, 24-hour days. Two and a half days for one day a week for an hour and a half, less for an hour. And I'm sad to announce that the church is not what it could be because for whatever reason, many of God's people are not gathering in His house on Sundays all over the country. Pastors are reporting it all over the country. Small churches, large churches, it doesn't matter. Something happened in 2020. It wasn't just COVID. But something happened. Some folks have never come back. Would you please listen to this sentence? I heard it when I was young, and it's never left me. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And yet, many of his people won't get out of bed. Jesus Christ rose from the dead on a Sunday, yet some of his people will not get out of bed. Now I'm not here to throw I'm not here to throw 
condemnation and guilt. I'm just simply saying that is something I heard, and it's never left me. We need to understand today, church, listen to this. Our culture did not get to the place that it is today in one fell swoop. It happened one day at a time, one week at a time, one month at a time, one hour at a time, one year at a time, one decision at a time. And what one generation allowed in moderation, the next generation celebrates in excess. The story is told, and I shared this a little bit during our communion last Sunday, during our Christmas communion. It was a story told of a church that was built in the highest mountains of Switzerland. And it was a beautiful church. It had been built with great care by the villagers, all the villagers that lived nearby. But there was one thing that the church didn't have, and it didn't have any lights. You couldn't just go into the church and switch on the lights like we do here because they didn't have electricity then. So what they did is on each of the columns of the building, they built lamp hooks into the walls of the church, and they gave each family a lamp, and they assigned them a lamp hook. And they said, that is your lamp hook. And the only way at evening time the church is going to be lit up is if your family is here with your lamp on the hook. If only a few people came to church, the light would be very dim because there would only be a few lanterns. But when every one of the people came to church, there would be plenty of light. And after the service, the villagers would take their lanterns home, and at this time, to those who watched from a distance, it would look as if a stream of light poured out of the church and over the mountainside. And the only time the little church lit up was when people were there. And can I just say this, church? That's when it truly becomes a church. This is a different place when we're here on Monday, when we're here on Tuesday. This is a different place. Why? Because the church isn't here. This is not the church. This building is not the church. This building could go away, and the church would still be here. So the Bible says Jesus went to the synagogue regularly every week. So did the disciples. And after Jesus died and rose again, they gathered together, the Bible said, on the first day of the week. They started gathering on Sundays instead of Sabbath because Jesus reordered the event. We celebrate His resurrection every day we meet on Sunday. That's why we celebrate on Sunday. Amen? You ever wonder why? Why do we get together on Sunday? That's the reason. Because Jesus rose from the dead. That is the day that He rose from the dead, and the church began gathering on Sunday in honor of the Lord's resurrection. So see, church church is not something that you do individually. It is something that you do collectively. So to be a follower of Christ is not just what you do by yourself. It's what you do together with other people. We are what the Bible calls the family of God. Here's what the Bible says. God has put the lonely or the single or the alone in families or in a family. This is the family. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to be lonely. Amen? Because a family is, by its own very nature, interdependent. What it means to be part of a local church is that you're interdependent with other people in your church. I need you. I cannot do everything. I'm not good at everything. I know the things I'm good at. I know the things I'm not good at. I need you. Amen? Me alone by myself, when I'm not preaching, I am not real gregarious. I'm just not real. That's my wife. I'm not the outgoing one. She is. She's like the life of the party. She can make everybody feel welcome. Can I be honest? I don't always do that. I don't have the gift. I know I don't have the looks. It's great to also have the looks that my wife has, if I can say that. 
So number one is what Jesus did. Number two is what the disciples did. And look at the verse again here in Hebrews 10. It says this in verse 25. Are you still with me? I know I'm going just a little bit, but I really want to start this year well. And I really want us to hear this. And, and it uses a word that is really, it, it's a pretty strong word. It's not just not showing up. It's actually the word forsaking. And the verse in Hebrews 10.25 says, not forsaking our own assembling together. Now look at the next phrase. As is the habit of some. Now who is he talking about? He's talking about believers. Now I want to walk you back. What was the habit of the Lord? As was his custom, he was in synagogue every Sabbath. So I'm going to ask you this question. What is Christian? What does the word Christian mean? Christ? Why? In other words, they called them Christians because they were like Jesus Christ. So if I want to be like Jesus, I will have the same habits he had, starting in prayer, starting in uh, praise and continuing in the habit of going to church. Now watch this. Not forsaking our own assembling together, that's number one, as the habit of some is, number two, but encouraging one another, number three. What does it do? It encourages. Can, this, can I just say this? Would it encourage you if you saw uh, every single seat in this building full? plus all these in the side room. Would that encourage you? Would that make you go, whoa? Would it go, ah, what's going on? Yeah. And God knows it, and God said it. Now watch this. He even tells us, all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? Pastor, what day? His return. And you better be believing that his return is very near. We sang that today, and our God is an awesome God. Amen? So, Jesus had the habit of going every week, and we're warned here not to forsake the assembling together as the habit of some people is. Some people don't follow the example of Jesus, and they actually develop the opposite habit. But if you met them on the street, they go, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. What fellowship? Well, I don't go to church, but I'm a believer. And notice the reason we're instructed to assemble. It's in order to encourage, especially as you see the day coming close. Some have developed the bad habit of missing church. Maybe you've gotten out of the habit, or maybe you have yet to develop the habit of regular, regular church attendance. But listen, Sunday morning offers a lot of options, especially in Phoenix, Arizona. It offers the sleep-in option. It offers a brunch option. There's a Wrigley Mansion. I think they have a brunch option every, every Sunday. It offers the read the Sunday paper, although that one's kind of fallen out because the papers aren't really as much in it. But it, how about the golf option or the sports event option? You know, there are all kinds of options having to do with recreation, but Jesus chose to make it his habit to gather every week to the Lord's house. Can I say this? It's a positive example. Going to church is a positive, a positive example. When you go to church, you're setting an example. You're setting an example that other people notice. It is an example that becomes an inspiration for others. You don't do it for others, but it, in, in the process, it's a positive example. For the people around you, whether it's your friends or whether it's your coworkers, when they see that in you and that you've got a commitment to this, that and that you're actually seeming to be at peace and you seem to have a better life, that is a positive example that other people can begin to ask you about or follow. So not only is it a positive example, it's also important for fellowship because the church is an encouraging place. We all need encouragement. And listen to me, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be sometimes things preached or spoken that might step on your toes. How many of you also know that's encouragement? 
It's encouragement to make whatever changes we need to make to go forward. That's why the Bible says preach the word. Rebuke. What? 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 Rebuke? I thought I was just supposed to be a comfy blanket. No. Sometimes you need to rebuke. Sometimes you need to, you need to comfort. I've heard it this way. The word of God will comfort the afflicted. But that same word of God will afflict the comfortable. Amen? So see, Sunday service is uh, where you get to know people on a deeper, deeper level. The launching point to fellowship and community is in church services. Every Sunday that you come, there are going to be people here that are looking for you. I just thought I'd tell you that. And when you're not here, they're what, what, where's, where's Billy Bob? Since we don't have a Billy Bob that I know about. Where's Billy Bob? Man, I'm really missing Billy Bob. Well, guess what? Go find out. Pick up your phone. Text Billy Bob. Call Billy Bob. That's not David Drew's job. That's XYZ Christian job. If God spoke it to your heart to wonder where Billy Bob is, go get a hold of Billy Bob. And I'm not saying it's not my job to, to reach people. I'm just saying that when God speaks to you, he wants us to reach out. Do you know that you can sometimes get into places in people's lives I will never get to because once they know I'm a preacher, they start changing. They start changing their uh, language. Amen. They start saying, pardon my French. I'm like, that wasn't French. That was English. I know the difference. It's okay. The more you're involved... the more you're going to know people, the more you're going to learn, the more friends you're going to have. In church, it's essential for growth. It's essential for your spiritual growth to attend church every week. I have this phrase, and you need to mark this down possibly. The service you miss is the service you need. It'll be that service that you miss that will be the very one you needed. Man, I missed it. I needed that. I know. Each service is designed so that you can leave with the best possible spiritual experience. You can learn things that you didn't know before. You'll be challenged. You're going to be motivated. Being in a church service is irreplaceable. You say, well, Pastor, I can just watch online. Yeah, but you don't get what you get totally. It's a moment in time, and once it's gone, it's gone forever. We can't capture it again. Last of all, I close with these. Give your life to the great commandment and the great commission. You say, Pastor, what are those? I'm glad you asked because we're going to close with them. In Matthew 22, 36 through 40, we find what the great commandment is according to Christ. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God. Everybody say it. Love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody say, love people. Love God, love people. That's what our motto is. And we add another thing to it, live it out. And the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all the law and the prophets hang or are literally founded on these two commandments. That is the greatest thing you can ever give your life to this year is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then loving others. And then the last thing Jesus tells the disciples to do before he goes to heaven is what I'm going to call the Great Commission, and that's what it's known as. And it's found in Matthew 28. This is our last scripture this morning. Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples 
of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Can I just say this? It doesn't just necessarily say, David Drew, pastor of Celebration Church, go. It didn't just say, Billy Graham, evangelist of the 50s, and winner of million souls, go. What we ought to do is put our name before go. Pam, go. Dan, go. Terry, go. Dave, go. Can I get an amen? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. We can just start right here in our own Jerusalem, in Arizona, in Phoenix. And church, listen to me. I can give you a goal that every one of us, it is, it is a possibility to reach. And if every one of us did this and we reached our goal, it would be double the people in the room next year if we just made it our goal to reach one person for Christ. That's just one. I mean, you can't get any smaller than that. Just one person. If each one will reach one, will double. Amen? If each one would reach two, we'd triple. Wouldn't we? How many of you know that a person's last words are very important? Can I announce this to you today? Those are Jesus' last words. He told them, make more disciples. You've been discipled. Now, it's time for you. Go make them. Have you ever led someone to Jesus? It's awesome. It's awesome. It's actually addictive. Do you want a great addiction in 2024? Get addicted to winning souls. When we love God and we love others the way Jesus commanded, which means using our three T's, our time, talent, and treasure, all of us have it, and we use it for Him, using our gifts and our talents to meet the needs of people around us, we actually become as salt and light to people, pointing them to God, and we'll have the greatest year we ever had because we're making a lasting impact on others. Let me close with this. This one last story. A quiet forest dweller lived high above an Austrian village along the eastern shores or slopes of the Alps. And this old gentleman had been living here for a while, and he had been hired many years ago by a young town council to clear away the debris from the pools of water up in the mountain and the crevices that fed the lovely spring that flowed down from the mountain into and through their town. And this man, with faithful, silent regularity, patrolled the hills, removed the leaves and branches, and wiped away all the silt that would otherwise choke and contaminate the fresh flow of water. But by and by, the villagers found that their little village was found out by a greater, wider community of people, and it became a very popular village. It became an attraction for vacationers. And swans that would float along the crystal clear spring, and it had mill wheels at various businesses located along the water, and 
the farmlands were naturally irrigated, and the view from uh, restaurants was picturesque beyond description. In years past, and one evening the town council met for its semi-annual meeting, and as they reviewed the budget, one man's eye caught the salary figure being paid to this obscure keeper of the spring. The keeper of the purse said, who is this old man? Why do we keep him on year after year? I've never met him. I don't know him. No one ever sees him. Have you guys seen him? For all we know, this strange ranger of the hills is doing us no good. He is not needed any longer. And by a unanimous vote, they dispensed with the old man's services. Well, for several weeks, nothing changed. But by early autumn, the leaves began to fall from the trees. Small branches snapped off and fell into the pools, hindering the flow of the rushing water. One afternoon, someone noticed a slight yellowish-brown tint in the spring. A couple of days later, the water was much darker. Within another week, a slimy film covered sections of the water along the banks, and a foul odor was soon detected. The mill wheels moved slower because the water came less, and then some finally ground to a halt. The swans left. So did the tourists. Clammy fingers of disease and sickness began to reach deeply into the village. Quickly, the embarrassed council called a special meeting. Realizing their gross error in judgment, they hired back the old keeper of the spring. And within a few weeks, the veritable river of life began to clear up. The wheels of the mills started to turn and new life returned to the hamlet in the Alps once again. This story is more than an idle tale. It carries with it a vivid, relevant analogy directly related to the times in which we live. What the keepers or what the keeper of the springs meant to the Swiss village Christians mean to the world. We've been assigned by our Lord and Savior the position of influencing and impacting our world, not unlike the old gentleman in the Alps. Jesus called his followers to be a frontline militia. Nowhere do we get the impression that Jesus wanted us to live in isolation, separate from the world. He said we're in the world, but we're not of it. Separate only in the way we act, but we're not separate from it. I find Jesus consorting, talking, speaking to women of the night, to say it nicely. I see him talking to thieving, bantam-sized tax collectors. Well, he got called on the carpet for that, didn't he? Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house. He didn't invite him to the local Israeli Jewish priestly restaurant. He said, no, I'm going to go to your house. Jesus was called a friend of the tax collectors, sinners. It is impossible. Everybody say impossible. It is impossible to truly live, truly live for the kingdom of God 
in private. We are called to a social agenda. Outward expression of God's principles. We're called to make a difference by influencing and impacting this world around us. I know I've kept you longer than I normally do, but this will give you a good idea of close to what an hour and a half is. I'm not doing it just so I can hold you longer. I really want to end this year to give you meat to go into 2024. Because I, I have a sense in my spirit there's something going to happen in 2024. That we're going to need what we just heard. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it, but I know where God is leading me. And he's saying to me, David, look into the Spirit. Don't look into what your eyes see. Look into the Spirit. That's why that video, I showed you that video. It's five minutes long for our offering. I normally show you one that's like a minute. But that one standing up on the mountain could have very well been like the angel of the Lord Jesus himself, or it could be an angel that he has over the city. How many of you believe that there are angels even over cities? Michael, the archangel, when Daniel prayed for three weeks solid after he had been fasting and praying for his nation, the angel Gabriel came, and he said, I was being withheld by the prince of Persia. That was not the king's son of the nation of Persia. That was a spirit. And guess what? Michael the archangel was involved. He had been fighting and battling, and that is how long it took. It was three weeks before Gabriel, the messenger angel, the archangel of the messages God sends, the one who showed up, to Zechariah, the one who showed up to marry the mother of Christ, was withheld by the prince of Persia. And can I announce to you today, that angel, demon, spirit in Persia is still there. There is a reason why those nations surrounding Israel say death to Israel and death to America. It's not human, it's spiritual. And I am believing and I am I am sensing God is calling the church to step up higher. But we're not going to be able to step up if we don't step in in the Word, and in our prayer closets because we're not going to have the power to deal with what we're going to be dealing with. We're going to need God. Well, that's where we're headed, just to give you a little bit of an idea. I don't know what my next sermon is, but I do know know this. It's going to be from God. Bow with me today. All of you that are watching as well, bow with me. I ask, Lord God, in the name of Jesus and those listening, that you would cause this new year that we walk into tomorrow to be the greatest year ever. I pray, Lord, over this congregation and all of those listening to my voice today and declare and make this the declaration for 2024 that the rest of your days will be the best of your days. The rest of your days will be the best of your days. And I ask, Lord, that as we follow these keys and we take these keys out and use them that we have learned today, that you would truly bring this into a reality for every person in Jesus' name. And I pray if you're listening to my voice right now that you will say in your own heart, in your own way, 
Lord, I dedicate my life to you afresh and anew as I step into this new year and let 2023 be the last page in the book. Take us there with your presence, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you go. Have a great rest of this year and have the very best year you've ever had when you wake up in the morning. Amen. Love you guys. God bless. Christ has